Good morning, guys. I think Tyrone did a great job at announcements. <laughs> um, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish our tech this chapter this morning. Um, as I do that, I'm going to open up my notes if I can find them. They're somewhere around here. I actually lost my notes. Cool. Um, so Philippians chapter 2, we're going to cover verses 9 to 19, rather, 30. And this morning, our text, we're going to talk about heroes. And um, I want to talk about this idea of heroes with you for a few moments. You know, our, our culture, all, all civilization, for as long as humanity has really been around this earth, we, we love the idea of heroes. We love the idea of these archetypal people who are above ourselves, someone we can look up to, someone who we elevate and want to follow after. Um, it's very dominant in our culture today. Um, people around the world are obsessing over the Avengers right now. You know, if you, if you follow Marvel and all superheroes, it's like a decade worth of movies, 22 films, and people religiously follow these uh, movies to see the outcome and to watch their favorite heroes, you know, conquer evil and do great feats. But even in reality, people growing up have heroes, don't we? You know, we have these people we admire. You, know, you see kids wearing their favorite sports jerseys, you know, um, Manchester United might be, you know, Liverpool might be whatever, you know, with their favorite um, football player on the back of their jersey. You know, and they want to be like them and they want to play football like them and they want to um, follow them in their talents. E e even in, in Christianity, we have our heroes of the faith. You know, people, Christians we admire, um, great teachers, great lecturers that we want to be like. When I, when I was younger, I, I really wanted to be like, like John Piper. Um, I thought he was great, and I was like, I want to be John Piper when I grow up. And then I was like, no, I want to be Mark Driscoll, or I want to be Spurgeon, have a great beard and a booming voice and, you know, command authority. And we see these people who we admire and we respect and want to follow after. So why, why did I bring that up? Well, because with heroes, the idea of a hero is someone, yes, we look up to, but also someone we want to emulate. It's someone we want to become like, and that's the purpose of Heroes is someone to admire, someone who overcomes a challenge, or someone who gives us an example of something to follow. And I say that because this is what the Apostle Paul does in our text this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30 is uh, very unique in this book because Paul gives no instruction to the church here, really. He doesn't give us any kind of great theological insight in regards to the truth about Jesus or anything like that. He doesn't say, do this, 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 and this. He simply talks about two men, two Christians, two brothers in the Lord, and what he wants them to do. We have two men. We have Timothy and Epaphroditus. And all we learn about them really in this section is that Timothy is going to go to Philippi one day, and that Epaphroditus is already there. But Paul, in placing these men right in the middle of this book, he does so for a reason. Because he wants us to look up to these men and to emulate them. Remember the start of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says that we are to have the mind of Christ. We thought about this a few weeks ago. Where we are to love each other selflessly and to look to the interests of others and to do nothing from selfish ambition. And you'll recall, Paul calls us to do that and he says, we're to do this because Jesus did this first. And we get this amazing there's scripture in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul talks about how Jesus humbled himself, how he served others, how he you know, served himself to the point of death on the cross, and how that God raised him up. 
And because of what Christ has done, Paul says you should do likewise. See, Christianity isn't a static thing. You know, it's not just that you accept the gospel and that's it. Now, you do accept the gospel. You know, salvation is a one-off moment. Yes, you know, when you receive the Lord, you're saved. But you're not, but you're saved to something. You're not just saved from sin and hell. You're saved to salvation. You're saved to eternity. You're saved to walk with God. And the purpose of being a Christian is to become like Jesus and spend eternity with him. And so Paul shows these two men to show this is what happens in our life. It's not just a theory or a concept that we become more Christ-like as we walk on in our faiths. The reality is that people do become more and more like Jesus as they follow after him. And so with that, Paul gives us two men in this text to follow after, two men who are becoming like Jesus. And so we're going to look at their examples this morning and what just their life can teach us. So let's read part of the text. Philippians 2, verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven word, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that he, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am therefore the more eager to send him, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. God, we do thank you for your word and all that it teaches us. Jesus, thank you that you do transform lives and return to you, God. We thank you for the life of Paul and Timmy and Epaphroditus, these men who have come before us, God, and shown us what it means to walk in your grace. God, as we learn of these men, learn of their example of following after you, Jesus, would you inspire us to follow you also? Would you help us to become more and more like you by your grace, God? Holy Spirit, would you transform us into the image of Christ? Jesus, we love you so much. We give you this time. Open up our eyes to see the truth of your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll start with verse 19. The Apostle Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So again, we'll start talking, I guess, a little bit about who was Timothy. Because Paul tells us it is his desire to send him to the church in Philippi. So where do we first meet Timothy in, in the Bible? We meet him first in Acts chapter 16. 
Acts chapter 16, Paul has just started out in his second missionary journey. He's going around, um, well, well, in modern day Turkey and Syria, um, telling the churches about the Jerusalem Council from Acts chapter 15. And at the very start of his journey, he comes across a young man named Timothy. I want to read to you Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. It reads, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish man who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. So these five verses teach us um, a few very important truths about Timothy. We see he was a man of mixed heritage, and this caused him and Paul some problems, because he was the son of a Jewish woman and a Greek father. This is why, you know, as a young man, possibly in his late teens, Paul went off and circumcised Timothy so that he could serve him. We see that Timothy, despite his age, was someone who was well spoken of by the church. You know, he had a faith that was genuine. He had a faith that was true. And people respected him because of this. And we see that he wanted to serve the church. You know, Paul comes to Lystra, he comes to uh, Derby, and Timothy just abandons his life there and decides to follow Paul to strengthen and aid the churches. But I think what best describes this man is the first word that we see about him in Acts chapter 16 is that it calls him a disciple. I love that. His, the first thing about him is that he is a disciple. And the word disciple is important because when we think of a disciple, you know, in, in the West we have a very kind of structured education system where it's you sit and you listen from someone, you take in information. But a disciple is someone who not only listens, but someone who, who follows after. It's someone who follows after someone. And so Timothy was a disciple of Jesus and followed after him. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? I think there's four very basic components. A disciple of Jesus is someone who believes his words, who rests on his sacrifice, who seeks his spirit, and follows his example. And that's what Timothy did. Timothy believed in the words of Jesus. He believed in the gospel. He rested in the sacrifice of Christ. He was a spirit-filled man, and as we see from our text, he was following the example of Jesus. He walked in his footsteps. He was a disciple. And if you're a Christian, you are called, and you are a disciple. It's who you are. You know, it's not you're becoming a disciple. You are a disciple. And the challenge of Scripture is that we would walk in the calling that we have received, to be followers of Jesus Christ. I think it's a question for ourselves. Do we live lives like we are disciples? Do we believe in the words of Christ like he says? Are we trusting him for salvation, or are we adding something onto his work? Are you seeking the Spirit and the things of God? And are you actually walking in the footsteps of Jesus? It's a tough question, but this text calls us to actually reflect on who we are as we look at Timothy. And so Paul presents him here as someone who is following the Lord. 
as someone who should be imitated because Timothy was actively imitating Jesus. And we should follow and respect such men, Paul says. Now, Timothy, he, loved, he was loved by Paul. And Paul says in the, in the pastoral letters to Timothy, he calls him a genuine son in the faiths, and he calls him his true and beloved child. Paul tells us that his faith was sincere, and Timothy was entrusted by Paul to be his representative in many churches in the first century. And the church of Philippi, the church of Corinth, and we know later on that Timothy was a pastor to the church in Ephesus. So this was a proven young man. And so Paul says in verse 1 that he wants to send his best. He wants to send Timothy to Philippi so that he and the church may be encouraged. And this is a side. I love what he says about it. You know, he adds these three little words in verse 19 that change it. He doesn't say, I, I hope to send Timothy to you soon, guys. He says, I hope in the Lord to do so. He hopes in the Lord. And that's interesting. Remember Paul's situation here. He's a prisoner in Rome. He's awaiting his trial before Caesar. He has no power. He has no authority as regards to the world's concerned. He's sitting in a prison under house arrest. And he really wants Timothy to go from Rome to Philippi. But he recognizes that this is only going to happen in God's will and God's timing. This is something admirable about Paul. You know, he had a great desire, and his desire was good. It wasn't a bad desire. But he knew he had to submit that desire to the Lord. And he had to trust in God's ways and be content in that. You know, in chapter 4 of his book, Paul says he has learned to be content in all situations because he knows his God is one who is above him, whose ways are above him, whose thoughts are above him. And so Paul says, if God wills it, he will send Timothy to them so that he may be cheered by news of them. And as he declares this desire to send Timothy, in our, in, our, in, our, in our verses here, verses 20 to 24, Paul shows us three things that we in the church should know about this man that he is sending to them. It's these three things. First is his love and concern for the church. Second is his humility in his service. And number three is his value. So let's look at that. Let's look at verse 20 together. It reads, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So again, the first thing Paul tells us about this man in Timothy is that he has a great love and concern for the church. And he says that there is no one like him in this regard. That, that phrase, no one like him, it means there's no one of equal soul to Timothy. You know, he was unique. Paul's saying out of all the people he discipled and had taken on him in his journeys, Timothy stands out. He was unique in his person. He was uniquely fitted to the job. And he was uniquely like Paul. Um, many Greek scholars say that this phrase, this verse can be translated as, I have no one who is just like me. I have no one else who is so like me. And so Timothy was unique, and Paul presents him as this great man. But what made him so unique and great? What made him this, this hero to be looked up to? What was it about Timothy that defined 
is greatness. I think that's an important question, especially as Christians. You know, what does it mean to be great in the body of Christ? And I suppose when we start that, well, how does the world define what greatness is? Well, how does the world say you are a great person, you are unique, and you stand out above the rest? And as I was studying, I found a few interesting quotes of people where they share, well, this is what greatness means to me. And there's one man, Daniel Negrano is his name. I believe he's Canadian. He's basically named the best poker player in the world in like 2014 or something like that. So he's, he's great at what he does. And he says, greatness is achieving a life that you've had in your mind and that you see for yourself and actually just living it. It's interesting. Then a person says, greatness is planning out a life where everything you do is geared towards the ideal version of what you want and makes you happy. I honestly believe so deeply that greatness, whether it is in the self or what you achieve, is all about being happy. So that means if you're not doing something that is gearing you towards being happy, you're probably not going to have a good life. This last one, my definition of greatness is having my life and my actions and my results line up with my vision. To me, that's greatness. Those are interesting quotes, but do you notice a common thread between all three of them? What all three of these people, and I, I found like hundreds of quotes, and most of them say the exact same thing, is that, this, is that ultimately true greatness is about you. It's about you. It's about your desire, your goals, your, your fulfillment, your comfort, and your happiness. It's about what you get in life. And when you get what makes you happy, that makes you great. What I'm saying is greatness is all about you. So what made Timothy great? Did he have a great preaching skill? You know, was it his pastoral ability? Was it because he was a man who could get the job done? Or was it the fact that, well, he is so highly praised, and if he's so highly praised, surely he must be great. Paul says this in verse 20. He says that there is no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. It's interesting, isn't it? What made Timothy a great man was his love and concern for others. It was his love for the body of Christ that made him stand out amongst all the rest. Paul says, in a world of people who seek after their own interests, Timothy tells us that Paul tells us rather that Timothy is someone who looks after the interests of Jesus Christ, who looks after his church. And that's important because greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by how we exalt ourselves over other people, but how we humble ourselves before others. It's not about what we do to make ourselves look great. It's about what we do for others to build them up. It's about our love for other people. And Jesus says this in John chapter 13. His command is this, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another, Jesus says. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have that love for one another. What made Timothy great was that he, he obeyed the commands of Jesus. He loved the church, and that love was genuine. You know, it wasn't forced. It wasn't fake. It wasn't something he could look great and rise up to the top. It was this natural love God had given him for his people. 
Not to is a love that we are commanded to have for each other. That we love each other. And the second thing Paul mentions about Timothy is that he was a man who served others with humility. We see this in verse 22. It reads, But you know Timothy's proven words. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. So Paul says that Timothy has proven his worth in his service with Paul. As we read in Acts chapter 16, again, Timothy accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey. He traveled with him, and Paul lets us know that Timothy was actively involved in the work on mission. You know, he wasn't lazy. He wasn't just this bystander who stood to the side as Paul was preaching the gospel. He was involved in promoting the gospel and seeing the kingdom of God advanced. Paul says that he was he himself, he made himself a willing slave, he made himself a servant to Jesus, serving him on the mission field. He put, as Paul says in verse 21, Jesus first by seeking the good of others. And this is the kind of man that Timothy was. He was sacrificial in his service, but in his service, Paul tells us that he served from a place of humility. And that's so important for leaders and servants, that we serve from a place of humility. Paul says in verse 22 that as a father, as a son serves with a father, so too does Timothy serve with Paul. And the idea here is that, you know, as a son was learning his trade from his father, say he was a carpenter, if he told him to go get the nails, his son would submit and get the nails. That his father would take the lead and the son would be submissive to his parents. And just like a son is submissive to their father, Paul says that Timothy submitted to his leadership. You know, Paul was the natural leader and Timothy was the natural subordinate. He was second in command in a sense, and from what we see here, he was happy about that. He never tried to usurp Paul's position. He never tried to one-up Paul and get over him in authority. He was marked by humility. And the truth is, as Christians, we are either walking in a place of humility or walking towards a place of pride. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. You're either walking in humility or you're trying to exalt yourself and be proud. And the Bible consistently warns us against self-exaltation. That's the reason humanity fell in the first place. The very first sin by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 was they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to exalt themselves and they fell. In the book of Ezekiel, we see this kind of dual prophecy about this one particular king, but also about the devil, about Satan, that it was pride and wanted to exalt himself over God that led him and the angels to fall. You know, boasting in yourself, trying to make yourself great, the eyes of others, will lead to ruin. It will always lead to ruin. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs, 20, Proverbs verse, chapter 30, verse 32 says, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put a hand on your mouth. He says, literally, stop it now before it's too late. If you're boasting in yourself, put a hand 
over your mouth and be quiet before it's too late. Because pride leads to destruction. And so instead of raising ourselves up over others, our call is to lower ourselves before each other. Again, remember what we said, we learned in the verses 3 and 4 of this, of this chapter. The command from Paul was to do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility to count others more significant than ourselves. That we weren't to just to look to our own interests, but that we were to look to the interests of others. And Paul said this is something that Timothy actively did. He humbled himself before others in his service to the gospel, and he submitted to the leadership of Paul. Because of this submission, this humility, Paul highly valued him, as we see in verses 23 and 24. Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. So what we see in these verses is that Paul valued Timothy. Okay, he says he hopes to send them there for their benefit, you know, from his presence. But he says, I'm going to do it as soon as I see how it goes for me. You remember, Paul sending off Timothy would have been a sacrifice to himself. Because he is in prison. He is waiting trial before Caesar. And he wanted to have loyal companions around him. We, we gather from the first two chapters of this letter that there's Christians, Christians surrounding Paul who were looking to serve him and others out of this selfish ambition. He even tells us in chapter 1 that there's people who are preaching the gospel to try and make him suffer while in prison. He says in chapter 1, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Paul says that these people are trying to afflict him in his imprisonment. And so Paul was surrounded by wolves. So he wanted Timothy nearby because he valued him. You know, Paul tells us not to exalt ourselves, and yet Timothy has been exalted in the eyes of Paul and in the eyes of the church. He was a value to the church. He wasn't a drain to the people in the church. And what a wonderful thing that is to be called. It wouldn't be great if people called us a value to people. But we weren't just, just drain on people. But we were a people who blessed others to the making them suffer. Timothy was this. He was valuable to Paul. And this value and this exaltation, again, came not from building himself up, but looking to the interests of others. And that's how it works in God's kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself again will be exalted. Timothy was, you know, as far as Jews are concerned, a man of mixed heritage. Wasn't really a Jew, wasn't really a Gentile. You know, didn't really have much going for him in regards to the Jewish idea of God's kingdom. But God transformed Timothy into a man who was great in his kingdom. And the Lord will do that to us as well. If we are willing to follow his example of humbling ourselves, God will raise us up. And that's the promise of scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 5, as Peter closes out his, his letters to the churches, 
he gives an exhortation to the entire church, from the elders to everyone else who isn't an elder, to humble themselves, because God will raise us up. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as for a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter's exhortation to leaders is to humble yourself, to be servants to people, and God will give you the crown. He continues, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards another, one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your cares on him, because he cares for you. That is our calling, guys, to be humble in the church. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to be, make yourself the least. And Paul now, he moves on from Timothy to commend another great hero in the faith. And this is one of the Philippians' own, a man named Epaphroditus. And that's verses 25 to 26. It reads, I have taught it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard, you heard, that he was ill. If you ever wondered how this church, this letter, got to the church in Philippi, this is your answer. You know, Paul had this letter delivered by a man named Epaphroditus. Now, we don't know much about him, not nearly as much as we know about Timothy. But again, Paul points him out as someone who is to be looked up to, someone who is to be admired. And Paul tells us a few things about him in these two verses. He calls him a brother. And remember, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. Epaphroditus was a Gentile. Before Paul became a Christian, Epaphroditus would have been a dog to him. You know, he would have been so below. You know, to call him a brother would have been inconceivable. And yet Paul says that this man is more than just a Christian or, or another person. He is family. You know, Paul loved Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus loved Paul because they were brothers. He calls him a fellow worker. So we know that Epaphroditus was a man who ministered for the gospel. Paul saw him again as someone who was valuable in his service to the Lord. And he calls him a soldier. The idea here is that, you know, he was a brother in arms. Because the reality is there is a spiritual warfare. And Paul and Epaphroditus waged this war for the kingdom of God together. He tells us that he was their messenger and their minister to his need. So what this tells us is that Epaphroditus was actually sent by the church in Philippi to, to aid Paul. We learned this in chapter 4, that they sent him out to Paul in Rome to give him a financial gift. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, 
a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What that tells us about this man is he was trusted with the money. You know, whatever, whatever they gave Paul, it was enough for him to say, I am well supplied. Can you imagine if he just ran off? You know, like it's the first century. There was no, like, you know, registered mail. They couldn't track him down. You'd be like, like giving the tithe money to a random person who just came to the church, saying, here, you go to the bank and post it for me. You know, you'd be out of your mind. And, and so you need to give it to someone who you trust. The church at Philippi trusted Epaphroditus to go to Paul in Rome and give them this gift on their behalf, and he did so. And finally, the fifth thing we see about him here is that, like Timothy, Paul tells us that he had a great concern for the church. You'll see a common thread here. People who are great in the kingdom of God have a great concern for God's people. They actually love the church. And Paul says that he longed for his church family. He loved them. And he says he was very worried about them, in fact. It seems what happened was that as he was making his way to Rome, Epaphroditus um, fell ill. And many commentators believe that he he overexerted himself. He rushed, you know, so hard nonstop to get to Rome that he actually made himself sick. Sick to the point of death. And somehow the church in Philippi heard about the sickness and they began to get very worried and anxious about him. So here is Epaphroditus. He's in Rome. He's serving Paul. And yet, because of this deep love for his church family, he is he's getting anxious at the thought that they are worried about him. This is just a concern of his mind, you know. So it's very often very easy to go home from church on a Sunday and not think about the church until the next week. You know, life gets in the way and you forget. But here's a man who, when he's not with his family, he is thinking about them. He is concerned. He loves them. And he wanted them to know that he was okay. And so Paul says in verse 25, he saw this worrying and he knew it was best for everyone to send Paphroditus back to Philippi to view his church family. And so he sends him back and he gives him this letter to present to the church. And as he presents this letter, we see from our text that he wants them to know that he wasn't a failure. You know, Paphroditus, he got sent home from the mission field after a very short while. And so Paul wants to know he wasn't a failure and this wasn't some small sickness. Paul says in verse 27, indeed he was ill near to death. This man served the church to the point of death, where it was physically killing him to serve the church. This is his love for others, and he would sacrifice his health, his comfort, his own life for the sake of other Christians. Paul tells us, but God had mercy on him, and he recovers. Paul continues, and he, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So God was merciful to Epaphroditus. You know, in his service, God did not let him die, but he recovered. And Paul says this is sort of a mercy to him and a mercy to me as well. Because, well, obviously, Paul calls him a brother, you know, a fellow worker, a soldier. But more importantly, Epaphroditus got sick because he went to serve Paul. Poor Paul in prison would have had sorrow upon sorrow, he says, at the thought of this man dying for him. 
And so Paul says he is eager to get him back to Philippi in one piece. And upon his return, he wants the church to know that they need to treat him and think about him in a certain way. They are to treat him in a way worthy of his service. That he is to be received and enjoyed, and as we've seen in our last three verses, that he is to be honored among them. Read with me, if you would, verses 28 to 30. It reads, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, this man's mission was cut short, but Paul made a point of making it known that he was not a failure, that he had served above and beyond the call of duty. Because of that, he is to be received and joined there to honor him. Paul says that this man is serving under his Lord himself to the point of death. And so now Paul commands God's church to raise him up in honor. And Paul says he risked his life for the work of Christ. Now, the idea of risking its life, your life, it's a Greek word that means a gambler throwing everything away on the roll of a dice. It's like having a really good hand in poker and saying, I'm all in. Epaphroditus was willing to risk everything for Christ. And that is a man worth honoring, Paul says. People who give up their lives to follow Jesus are people we should admire and want to walk after. And that was Paul's desire for the church of Philippi. That's God's desire for us. That we would honor such men, yes, of course, honor those who have gone before us in the faith, but also that we would become like them in their life and in their service. And so Paul wants us to be like this man. He wants us to follow their example. But we ask, well, what motivated these men to live lives like this? You know, what drives a person to the point of death in the service of others? What enables yourself to submit yourself to a leader, and not only to them, people above you, but the people you might view as below you? What makes you humble in service? For these men, it was Jesus. It was the example of of Jesus and the grace that he gives. You know, Paul tells the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 11 to imitate me as I imitate Christ. So likewise, Paul isn't telling us to simply imitate these two men because these men are great, but ultimately to imitate them to become like Jesus. This is what was happening in the lives of of Timothy and Epaphroditus. God's grace was working with them, and they were becoming examples of the one that they were following. And remember that amazing description of Jesus at the start of Philippians chapter 2. This was the example that these men were becoming. They were trying to live up to this, that they were going to be like Jesus, and that is what they wanted. I mean, think about it. Timothy, he submitted himself to the authority of the Apostle Paul, and he stayed in that place of submission. Jesus submitted himself to the authority of God, the Father, and did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. 
Paul tells us that Timothy made himself a servant with Paul in the gospel. And Paul tells us that Jesus took on human flesh to become the ultimate servant of all mankind. You know, Epaphroditus served others to the point of coming near to death. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. These men were becoming like their master. And just as Paul exalts these two men in the eyes of the church, Paul tells us that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that every name, at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow and recognize that he is Lord. So you see, these two men are only worth following because they are following the life of Jesus. Ask yourself, if people were to describe you as one person, would they say Jesus? I, I would fail that test. As I was studying, I just got overwhelmed with this, how, how selfish I could be as a person. And how very unlike Jesus I become. And yet we are called to follow the example of Christ, guys. To humble ourselves and to serve other people. But like I said, the problem is we don't always do this, do we? We all chuckle because no, we don't. So often we want to exalt ourselves and promote ourselves, lift ourselves up. So often we don't want to serve us, but we expect people to serve us. So often our service is from selfish ambition. And so the reality is we can't be these, this this Christ-like servant by ourselves. It's impossible because we fail. This is why we need the grace of God. This is why we need Jesus. This is why Jesus became a servant for us. And the reality of the gospel is when you place your faith in Christ, not only does he save you, but he, everything that becomes true of Christ becomes true of you. When God looks down at you as a Christian, he does not see the failure. He sees his son. He doesn't see the selfish, you know, self-seeking person, he sees his selfless son, Jesus. Jesus became the servant in our place. And as we put our faith in him, as we rest in his grace, as we look to Jesus for our need, he makes us like him. Again, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling that you have to do better, you have to be more like Jesus, because you have failed. You will fail because we will fail every single day. To call us reckons that God calls us to holiness. He calls us to be disciples. He calls us to be like Christ. But he calls us to do this through the blood of Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through his grace. Again, God paints these two men as great men in the scriptures. But that greatness comes from God lifting them. And so it doesn't matter who you are. You know, whether you were raised in church, raised in the scriptures like Timothy was, or whether you're a Gentile lost in darkness like Epaphroditus, Jesus will give you the grace to become like him if you turn to him. And God has not changed. God does not change. What was true of these men can be true of us. If you walk in the grace of Jesus, you will become like Jesus. And that's the promise and that's the hope. Think about who are you becoming like? 
If you're not a Christian, who are you following after? What are you becoming like? Because what you're following after is the world. You will become like the world, and the world is passing away, and you will pass away too. But Jesus is eternal. If you trust in him, your life will be eternal too. And so if you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you. Who are you? Re-ask, who are you following after? And guys, for us who are Christians, the cause that we need to follow after Christ. So let, let's pray. Lord, we need you, God. God, we need you so much, Lord, in that. God, what a high and wonderful calling that you have placed on us, God, as your people, to become like your son. That we get to show the love of Jesus in this world. God, I thank you for that calling you've placed in us. And God, I ask that you give us the grace, Lord. Holy Spirit, give us the power to live the life of Christ. Help us to be those examples in the faith, God, by your grace. Help us to point others to you, Jesus. God, would you help us, Lord, to go from this place? As we, as we leave this place today, God, would you just... Holy Spirit, transform us into the image of Jesus as we go to school this week, as we go to work this week, God, as we mind our kids this week, Lord. God, help us to put on the mind of Christ and to walk in that, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask as we worship Jesus now that you would do that work in us, God. That you be glorified from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.